So I'm going to talk this afternoon on what I call something, I call this the spectrum of awareness practices. And we're going to be thinking about mindfulness in the context of what we're doing here. And so you're going to, this is kind of a practical talk on how awareness works and how you can, um, how you can play with awareness and how you can notice different ways of being aware. And I call it a spectrum of awareness because there's, there's different, there's a whole range of ways that kind of, to me, seem to fall on a spectrum from the very, very narrow to the very, very expanded. So we have, um, and we all have our habits with meditation. I know some of you are quite new and so your habits might be you're just trying to figure out what's going on here. But many of us have practiced one way for a long time, like we've just paid attention to our breathing, our attention wanders away, we bring it back. That's kind of a very standard way of practicing that um, you, you, that's what we've been doing all day today and you're probably quite familiar with it. Uh, but that's only one way to practice mindfulness. And so with this spectrum, we're going to look at uh, like different ways that awareness works and, different, and, and think about how to practice in many ways so that for some of you who are experienced, it might break a few of your habits. For those of you who are new, in a good way, break your habits in a positive way. For those of you who are new, you get a, a, a nice sense of different ways to, to meditate in this mindfulness camp, right? Remember I said that I remember I said meditation is a huge category, lots of types of meditation. There's this this one category of awareness practices, mindfulness is under that. So one way to think about the spectrum of awareness is to think about a camera. If you take a photo with a telephoto lens, you're going to get a very narrow, precise photo, right? It's going to be just, it might be really narrow, like you were to take this glass and take a telephoto lens glass, uh, photo of it. You might just see the, the shapes or the colors up close. A lot of times we take ordinary photos where you just kind of the person in front of you. And then there's panoramic lens photos. And that's when we get the whole big picture. Oops, sorry. <laughs> I move my arms a lot and I hit Alex accidentally. <laughs> so I try not to hit Carol. All right. So we're going to explore how you can be mindful in a telephoto way, in an ordinary way, and in an expansive panoramic way. And then what really is mindfulness and what's the point? Why are we practicing mindfulness? What are we doing here? So to demonstrate this, I have... I'm going to ask my colleagues to stand up and help me act, do something. So I don't know if you remember this, but that includes Victoria and Gulu. Get up here. Come on up. You too. I'm going to stand up too. And um, maybe one of you stand on the other side of Alex. Oh, great. Okay. So we're going to explore right now how awareness works. So remember, we have a meditation anchor. Remember what the meditation anchor is? Yeah, that one, that's the thing you've been trying to pay attention to all day. <laughs> maybe successfully, maybe unsuccessfully. Right for this moment, I am your meditation anchor. Hi, I'm your meditation anchor. 
And I'm going to be moving around a little bit because our anchor, our breath, or our spotty sensations, it changes. So I'm going to move around a little bit. And I'm going to ask you to practice different types of awareness and keeping me as the anchor. And these people are going to move around in whatever way you feel moved to move around in. You can do be subtle, you can be broad, however you want. And they're going to be the different things that we can notice with our awareness. So with awareness, we might notice our emotions or our thoughts or our body sensations or sounds. They're going to be, you're acting that out. <laughs> and all, but all you're going to do is be aware. I'm, I'm sorry, all, all you're going to do is move when I tell you to in whatever way you want. And all you're going to do in the audience is uh, notice in the ways that I ask you to notice. All right. So the first type of awareness I call focused awareness. It's called focused awareness, and that's where you're staying connected to your anchor. That'll be me. And all these things are happening around you, but you just let them be in the background and try to keep your attention on me. If Jill does something to distract you and you get pulled away, then just come right back to me, okay? So we're going to practice, we're meditating in this very strange way for a little while, all right? So let's just take a breath and just be here, and I'm going to ask my meditation objects to start moving. (laughs) And as they move around, see if you can keep your attention on me. Don't be too distracting yet. Okay, just mildly distracting, like, that's too far. (laughs) Just stay up here. Okay, thank you. All right, so just noticing me, you might have gotten distracted by Gulu or somebody. See if you can still keep your attention mostly on me. You're focusing your awareness. It's the telescopic lens of the camera. And stop. Does this feel familiar to what you were doing today? Okay, that's right. No matter how many things were distracting you, you were able to come back to the anchor. Okay, so that's, that's the first, that's one type of awareness. The second type of awareness is when our awareness begins to be more flexible. So sometimes, so sometimes we just stay on one thing, but sometimes we begin to explore and investigate other things. So this time... You're going to stay with me, but when something grabs your attention, notice them, explore it, see what's, oh, they're moving in this way. Just get curious about what pulls you away. And you might also notice things like, I like it, I don't like it, that's pretty, that's not pretty, whatever. Notice what your mind does as you get pulled away, and then come back to me after a little while. So instead of just going over and coming back, instead, Notice what pulls you away, stay with it, investigate it, and then come back to me. Got it? All right, here we go. Take a breath and let's begin.
and stop. Okay. So this second stage on the spectrum of awareness, you might have already started to do it a little bit today. Did you do it a little bit today? Did you find yourself, your mind kind of did it? You understand the analogy here, right? It makes sense. I'm hoping. I'm hoping it does. If it doesn't, you can tell me. Um, We're going to be exploring a little more in this territory, this flexible investigative awareness in the next few days. It's an important part, and I'll explain a little bit more why. But but that's just another way of being aware. It's different than just staying with me. You're pulling, your attention is getting pulled. Okay, here's the third one. This one's really different than what we've done. Ready? And this is called choiceless awareness. And this is where you let go of your anchor. So what I'm going to ask you to do is you're going to notice whatever draws your attention. And you don't have to have an anchor. Don't worry about me. You might get drawn to me, but let your attention go to anything that grabs you. And you can get more wild at this point if you wish. It's up to you. Okay? So let's begin. Let's take a breath. And let's start noticing. And just see how your attention gets drawn in different ways. Okay, stop. Thank you. We're not done. You have, Jill, come on back. (laughs) We haven't done, so we haven't really done this so much, but in a few days on the retreat, we're going to explore what happens if you let go of your anchor entirely and you just notice your experience from moment to moment. Okay, we'll explore that. The last one we're going to explore right now is what I call natural awareness. And this is where I just invite you to kind of not be specific about what you're paying attention to, but settle back and watch the whole thing happening. Okay, just like, just, and I'll, I'll give you a little instruction for doing it. So you just see if you can, like almost observing peripherally, like you can take in everything without being specific. Relaxed, soft, aware, and we'll see what happens, okay? So ready? Here we go. Begin. Start doing your movements. And see if you can really keep your body soft, keep your mind soft, not trying too hard, but it's possible to take in everything without a lot of specificity. But we're just here, we're present without trying too hard. We're just present. Could you see the difference between the third and the fourth? Could you? It's different, right? Oh, and that time your awareness was really broad, panoramic, all these things. So every single time the same thing was happening. People were acting in goofy ways and you were observing it. 
but your awareness was really, really different each of these four times. So thank you so much for demonstrating with me. And now we're going to get back to my lecture. One of the things that's important to know is that of those four different ways of experiencing that you just did, it's not like one of them is better than the other. There are just different ways that we can take a photo, like a camera can take a photo in different ways. They're called for at different times. And you're gonna be seeing that your attention goes through them in different ways over the course of this retreat. And we're gonna be encouraging certain ones and. Um, and, and I just wanted you to see the bigger picture. Because tonight, what I'd like to do now is talk a little bit more about the ones that you've been practicing today, about focused awareness, and how we shift into uh, the other types of awareness. And we'll just, just see what happens. And um, if it starts to feel a little like, oh, this is too many concepts, it's, it don't, just, just take in what feels useful to you. I think you'll find that it's a, it's a nice map of thinking about your meditation practice and it'll give you some, some like, tools to work with. So I mentioned that I define mindfulness as paying attention to our present moment experiences with openness and curiosity and a willingness to be with that experience. And that ability to be with our experience takes a certain amount of, concentra of concentration. What we were doing with you today is building up your concentration. And one way to think about concentration, so concentration, everybody has ability to concentrate. You couldn't get through life without concentrating. You, if you read a book, you have to concentrate. It is possible that everybody's concentration is way worse now because of our cell phones, but you have a certain amount of concentration. Concentration stabilizes, unifies, collects, and gathers your mind so that you can see things more clearly or that you can do what you want to do. It's, we need to be concentrated. To read a book, you have to have some concentration. So if you think of like um, when you were a kid, maybe, you, did you ever do this thing where you take a magnifying glass and you put it over newspaper out in the sun and then it gathers the sun rays and it burns the newspaper? Did anyone ever do that? Do you remember doing that? Um, so, no, but have you never done it? Well, you should try it when you get home. <laughs> it's pretty fun. It's amazing that you can take a magnifying glass, the rays get... Get, become strong, they have power, and then they have this ability to burn the paper. And that's what we're doing. We're kind of strengthening our mind by this practice of coming back to the present moment again and again and again. And it cultivates this kind of muscle of concentration. It's a very valuable quality to develop. So I don't, you don't start the retreat by, I don't sit you down and say, okay, just be aware. See you. We'll be back in a day or two. We don't do that. We give you something really specific, which is an anchor to pay attention to. 
And then when your attention wanders, you come back. And this focused awareness practice builds concentration, which allows you to have the ability to see clearly. And, um, and it's, if you were to, if we were just to do this, like if we were to say the whole retreat is to cultivate concentration, you would find that perhaps some people experience when they practice concentration over time that their mind goes into states of bliss. Um, They're sometimes called, they're called, um, in the Buddhist terminology, they're called jhana, which means absorptions. Our minds get absorbed and they become very one-pointed and it's kind of really interesting. It's not exactly what we're doing here. We're using the concentration in the service of getting more mindful, and we're using mindfulness to give us more concentration. So mindfulness is not about creating a bliss state. One of the misconceptions people have is they think, oh, if I'm really mindful enough, I'm going to have some far out, blissed out experience. That is not the point. The point of mindfulness practice is to give us this capacity to be with whatever life brings. And the concentration piece, the thing we were doing today, is one way of helping us have more stability of mind so that we can be aware of what's happening. Some people have a lot of concentration naturally. It's pretty interesting. They just do. You know, I've met meditators over the years. Like I had a a friend many years ago who was a knitter. And she used to spend hours and hours knitting and she used to have these deep kind of meditative experiences, but she had no exposure to meditation. And so when she finally discovered mindfulness practice, she realized she'd been doing it all along through the knitting. I hear that story from other people who are like musicians, like there's so many, concentration is something that some of us have quite naturally. Some of us have zero concentration, right? Some of us are like consider ourselves ADD. What we always tell um, ADD students, attention deficit disorder people, is that when you're meditating and your mind is wandering a hundred times, a thousand times, a million times, you have many more opportunities than the average person to build the muscle of mindfulness and come back to the present moment. So it's actually a gift. (laughs) Believe me? Try. Okay. Anyway, so, so... some people have more of a natural affinity to it, but, but it's also we can cultivate it. I mean, that's the cool thing is we can cultivate it as we practice paying attention, it gets stronger. And you may have noticed, for some of you may have seen that, oh, I'm actually getting a little better at it today. Well, it may, maybe not because I'm getting tired, but you'll see the concentration builds over the day. Concentration in and of itself is just concentration. It's not necessarily good. Like, um, a thief might have excellent concentration, but that doesn't make them an uh, ethical person. A chicken has excellent concentration. Have you ever seen a chicken just like pecking, pecking, pecking? They're very concentrated. It doesn't make them wise. It just makes them they have good concentration. I was, when I, the very, very early days of my practice, I was practicing with a teacher long ago past named Ajahn Buddhadasa. He was a Thai master. And we practiced in his monastery in the forest. And we used to sit out. He used to give a, the, the meditation session, I mean, sorry, the instructional sessions with him where he would give us a little talk where like at five in the morning. So they'd wake you up at four in the morning and they'd march all the meditators, this was in the south of Thailand, down this road. We'd do walking meditation for like an hour to get to where he was. And then we'd sit out just as the dawn was um, coming up and he would give a lecture. And 
I didn't know at the time because I was maybe 20, but he was probably one of the most famous, incredible meditation masters of Thailand. Um, but he would always, I, the thing I remember most is that he would look at the chickens and he'd say, concentration, no wisdom. <laughs> and there would always be chickens pecking there. There would be like tons of chickens because it was, um, you know, there was like kind of, it wasn't a farm, but it was, I can't remember. There were lots of chickens. <laughs> so, um, so concentration is not in, the ser- in an end unto itself. It's in the service of having more clarity so that we can see ourselves and our lives and understand the world more fully. And, um, and so, so we practice this coming back to the present moment again and again. And we try to have, one of the things that's helpful with, with, a concentr- with concentration is to have a relaxed mind and be kind of like, don't try too hard. That's a hard thing to do if I were to say, don't try too hard, because it's kind of a paradox. Like you have to bring your mind back. But if you bring it back in an aggressive, kind of mean way, get back to the breath, now! That's when you can notice that you might have like a police officer in your mind. Get back to the breath! We want to be really gentle with that return. Like, okay, thinking back, wandering and bringing it back. So we bring a quality of kindness to all this. And I'll say more about this in a little while. Um, It's hard to have a concentrated mind. It's hard to practice mindfulness. We live in a culture that's the opposite of being mindful, of being concentrated. It's all about distractions, 24-7 distractions. It's also, we're biologically wired to search for threats. That's how the human species survived. We're looking for the saber-toothed tiger that's about to jump out of the woods and eat us. So our minds are constantly on alert. But what happens now is we're we're still doing that even though there are no saber-toothed tigers. Uh, Not that there aren't threats in our environment, of course there may be, but there's often an exaggerated response and a continual looking for threats and a a fight and flight response when there doesn't need to be. So it's it's it, so one of the things when you notice that your mind is wandering, my colleague at UCLA, he always says it means that you're intelligent. It means that your mind is doing what is appropriate. It is doing what it's wired to do and it's it, your mind thinks. There's no problem. Some people think with meditation that we're supposed to stop our minds from thinking that we'll have this bliss state or something where everything disappears and we're in perfect peace. That is not what happens. What happens is we notice that we're in thoughts are happening and we learn to come back to the present moment. And so don't aim for no thoughts. That's not what we're talking about here. When you, how do you know if you're concentrated? It's an interesting question. There's a point in your practice, there may be many points throughout the day where suddenly you're like, oh, wait a minute, I've been with a breath and two breaths, three breaths, I feel here. Your mind might feel light, it might feel energized, it might feel pliable. Carol's going to talk about things that get in the way of our meditation practice, like we get sleepy or we get restless. You might notice that your mind is none of these because it's, it's, there's some concentration here and it feels really nice. And then we just keep cultivating it. 
And then we begin to turn it onto our experience. And this is where we move, and what I mean by that is start to investigate our experience. So this is when we move, go back to the spectrum of awareness. We're developing focused awareness. You could spend the whole retreat developing focused awareness and that could be fine too. So it's not a problem, it's a wonderful way to practice. But then let's say we move on to the next, the next one, which is um, flexible awareness, investigative awareness. There's, it, I call it flexible awareness, but there's different categories of it. There's investigative, which I'm gonna talk about in a minute. There's choiceless, that was the one where you were jumping from person to person. So let's just talk a little bit about investigative awareness and, um, and things to know about as we practice. So we, we develop concentration. We use that powerful mind, that mind like the magnifying glass, like the sunlight and the magnifying glass. And we use that to investigate reality, to investigate life. Um, we begin, we do this experientially. When I say investigate, I don't mean sit and think about something. I mean to investigate, from, it's an experiential investigation. And what we learn to do, for instance, is how to, we, we learn about our thoughts and our emotions. And we learn how to regulate our thoughts and emotions and we learn all about them. And we see the ways we get caught in a lot of drama and stories and that leads to suffering because we tend to believe our thoughts. So that's part of the problem. We're meditating, we're trying to be aware of something, and then the next thing we know, we get lost in a thought, and then we really, really, really believe that thought. We're so caught in that thought, and then there's this moment where we go, oh, all right, I'm thinking. And then we come back to the present moment. And the, those thoughts can, it can turn this, any situation into misery in a moment. So let's say you're sitting there and you have your knee starts to ache, and then you think, Oh no, my knee is aching. What am I gonna do? What if I have to go to the doctors? Am I gonna have to leave the retreat? Maybe they'll take me to a chiropractor. What's the problem? You know, that's our mind going a little, uh, getting a little, uh, just getting lost in a story. So I'm gonna give you an example of what happened to me recently. My daughter, who she's, I think I told you she's almost 10, decided that she really, really, really wanted rollerblades. And so I thought, okay, we'll let you have rollerblades, even though I was a little bit mm, concerned about it. But we went to the store, we got rollerblades, and while I, were there, while I was there, I got really excited, and I thought, I want rollerblades too. So I got on the rollerblades, and I like, immediately fell off them, and I realized, okay, no, no, not rollerblades, but I got roller skates, the ones they looked just like from the 1970s, the white high-top ones with the pink, pink wheels, you know those roller skates? So I got a pair, she got a pair, and we got home, and we spent this wonderful day of just um, roller skating together, and I'm thinking, this is amazing, this is what we're gonna do all summer, it's such a great experience, there are no screens, this is great mother-daughter bonding, everything, I had all these thoughts. The next day, we go out to roller skate, we decide to go down the street, my foot gets caught in a crack, I fall down and smack my knee and my ankle. If you see me in the carts, that's what I'm doing because my knee and my ankle is still not better. The next thing I'm doing, oh no, what's happened? The summer's ruined. This is all my plans. How could I do that? That was so stupid. Now what if she gets hurt? What's gonna happen to her? Oh no, right? I was in pain. I had a lot of pain in that moment 
And for a while, for several days and about a week or two afterwards, I had a lot of pain. But the stories I was making about the pain made it 10 times worse, right? I was lost in this whole story. And so there was this moment where I kind of went, oh, right, mindfulness. And I just took a breath or two and I noticed, look at what my mind is doing. Because now I was immediately going into the summer is ruined, uh oh, am I really hurt? I thought I heard a pop. What was that? Right? You you know, does this sound familiar to anybody else's mind? This is what our minds do, right? This is what our minds do. So I I brought attention to these thoughts and to the feelings because I was also having some strong emotions. I was upset, I was in pain, and so I also noticed the pain, brought my uh, uh, brought some kind attention and compassion to myself. And Sort of, it wasn't horrible. Let's, I'll, let's, I'll let's just say that. It wasn't horrible. It was not too bad because I stopped the long story that it could have been. So one of the analogies that I often say is our thoughts, with our thoughts, it's like we get on these trains. We're sitting there, you're meditating, and this thought comes, I wonder what's for lunch. Oh, they had such great Indian food today. Maybe they'll have Indian food again. I really like that, but it's not as good as that restaurant that I went to. Oh, I miss that restaurant. Remember when I was, you know, your mind just goes down the, down the track, right? This is like getting on a train. We get on a train, we go 20 miles down the track, thinking, thinking, thinking. Has anyone gotten on a train today where your mind has thought of things? So when you realize that you've gotten on a tra- down the track, you can get off the train. You can get off the train. Oh, thinking, worrying planning. Sometimes we label our emotions. This is part of investigative awareness. We see that our minds have gotten on a track and we get off the track. We get off the train. The other option is you never get on the train in the first place. What if you were, if the thought were to rise, I wonder what's for for lunch tomorrow. And then the thought just kind of allowing it to dissolve. You might have had that experience today where a thought arose and you noticed it and with awareness that thought disappeared. Sometimes I think of it like a cartoon bubble coming out of someone's head in a cartoon and it's like we take the pin of mindfulness that pops the thought and the thought dissolves or disintegrates. So we can investigate the nature of our thoughts and emotions. And we're going to be talking a lot about this over the next couple of days. Right now, we're building the concentration with a focused awareness. And then we're starting to investigate. Oh, here's what's happening in my body. Here's what's happening in my mind. Here's how I'm reacting. I'm liking, I'm disliking, I'm wanting, I'm not wanting. Um, so we we do this all. This This is where mindfulness, this is... This is a beautiful part of mindfulness because with mindfulness, we begin to see all sorts of things about ourselves. We begin to have insights into ourselves, into who we are and what we care about and what's important. We we get insights into the way we get stuck in things. Just like with my roller skating story, I got really stuck. I was really suffering. And then I brought mindfulness to it and it made it a little bit more bearable and actually not too bad because I kept working with it. Every time my mind would go to, would get on the train, oh no, I'm going to have to get an MRI. Okay, thinking, come back. Anytime my mind would think, my summer is ruined, now my daughter's going to watch TV the entire summer with, you know, that's terrible, 
she's going to become a, I don't know, you know, those stories. I don't know if anybody, parents worrying about their kids watching too much television over the summer. Is that a, like, is that a reality for many of you? And then you think the worst case scenario, oh, they're never going to get into Harvard. I'm joking, she's nine years old. I'm not actually thinking that, but that's where our minds can go. We learn the way that we learn the way that we get on these tracks and we learn to get off the track and see our mind clearly and understand the nature of our mind. And this is what our mind is like. This is what it does. This is what's so powerful about mindfulness and investigative awareness. We see what's happening in this body and mind in a very experiential way, with Alex was talking about the felt sense. It's not like we're doing this theoretically. Oh, isn't that interesting what my minds can do? It's much more of we're experiencing it internally. Oh, there's pain here. My stomach is aching. I'm feeling the pain. I can be present with it. I can hold myself with compassion in the midst of it. So the qualities of our mindfulness include that it's, it's not superficial, right? It's not superficial. It's, it's, um, there's, a, there's a depth to it. There's a, we, we, it's not like we're skimming over the surface of our experience. We're open and curious. We're not dulled out as we attend to our experience, as we investigate. There's a quality of willingness to be with what is. I talked about that in my, in my definition, which means we're a willingness to be with that experience. Like, can I be with the pain in my knee? Can I be with the hunger? Can I be with those thoughts that are wanting um, Indian food again tomorrow? You know, we can be present with these, with this, this willingness. Now, some things are really easy to be with and some things are not easy to be with at all. So a little achy knee, okay, but incredible burning pain in my knee, not so okay. A little bit of sadness, not too bad. Intense grief and longing, that's a lot harder to do. But guess what? As we practice mindfulness and with this quality of investigation and curiosity and being present with ourselves, we get more and more capacity to handle what arises, even the really hard stuff. And that's the amazing thing about this mindfulness practice. We get more ability to have space, more capacity to hold what is arising. And this is the beauty of this practice. Sure, I've told this story in the past, but when my daughter was little, um, she was very like fearful of big uh, noises and crowds. And it was about she was about four years old, and she said that she there was a play that she wanted to go see. And I said, "Well, I can take you, but I'm kind of going to guess there's a lot of crowds there." And she said, "I don't care." I wanted to go. We got there and it was totally crowded. It was a Halloween play and there were all these kids running around dressed like Superman and, you know, fairies and everybody was running around, all these little kids and there was so much noise and I knew this was going to be really disturbing to my daughter. So I said, I kind of faked it and I put on a fake smile and I said, oh, it's not too noisy. It's not too crowded. Look. And she looked at me and she said, no, mommy, it is noisy, but I can handle it. 
And that's what we're aiming for, this, this quality sometimes called equanimity. This abi- that, that is inherent in mindfulness, this ability to be with what is, things as they arise. That when the sadness comes, when the fear comes, that we can investigate it instead of, oh no, I'm overwhelmed by my sadness and fear. We can say, oh, it's another one of those dancing weird objects that was happening and now I'm going to be present to it with my awareness. How interesting. Look what's happening. There's grief here. Can I bring a compassionate, loving presence to myself? Because that's another important quality of mindfulness. We hold ourselves in compassion. When my daughter is, I'm sorry, I'm giving a lot of kid examples, but it's kind of my life. I would be giving a lot of dog examples, which I probably will over the course of our time together, but I'll give you kid examples today. When my daughter is upset about something, I don't say to her, oh, stop being upset. When I'm in my best days, let's just be honest here, (laughs) my best days, I don't say stop being upset or here's a cookie, don't be upset, here's a cookie or what's wrong with you or that was dumb. You know, I don't do any of that. What do I do? I hold her with compassion, with awareness. I let her have the space. Oh, you really, really are sad right now. Oh, I can see that you're sad. Yeah, do you want a hug? Do you want me here for you? This is the invitation that we can do for ourselves. We can be a good parent with ourselves or a good caregiver or whatever works for you. We can hold ourselves with compassion because so many of us, as I think I mentioned, we struggle with self-hatred, with not being good enough, with perfectionism, with um, self-hatred. And in that spirit, I'm going to read one of my favorite poems. Sorry, I know you've heard it before, some of you. If you can start the day without caffeine, if you can always be cheerful ignoring aches and pains, if you can resist complaining and boring people with your troubles, if you can eat the same food every day and be grateful for it, If you can understand when loved ones are too busy to give you time, if you can take criticism and blame without resentment, if you can conquer tension without medical help, relax without liquor, sleep without the aid of drugs, then you're probably a dog. (laughs) We are pretty hard on ourselves. So... One of the beauties of mindfulness practice is this invitation, hold on, is this invitation to bring more kindness, to not yell at ourselves when our attention is somewhere else, but to hold ourselves in this space of compassion, just like you would with a child who was upset or angry or running around and you wanted them to come and clean their room and you just, come on back come on back. We just come back. So we practice mindfulness. We first get focused as as we were doing. Then we practice starting to notice how to work with the other things that are happening in our experience. Over the next few days, we will be taking you through it in a step-by-step process. We're going to show you, oh, here's how you work with pain. Here's how you work with difficult emotions. 
Here's how you work with thoughts. This is all in the realm of investigative awareness. The choiceless awareness, that was the one where you were, um, you were kind of noticing everybody, but I said, don't pay attention to me. Remember, do you remember that? Not the last one, it was the third one. That may happen spontaneously in your practice. So you may find that you're suddenly, you're not paying attention to your breathing or to the listening, but you notice there's a thought and a memory and a body sensation and an itch and then a sadness and then and our, your mind is just so present and noticing everything as it happens, moment after moment. So that's the choiceless awareness and we'll talk about more about that more as we get to it. The fourth one over here was what we call what I call natural awareness. And that was the last one. That was when you were kind of just hanging out and just being. Natural awareness is really fun. We'll talk more about it. But natural awareness is that quality of just being, of letting your attention rest in its own, just, just letting yourself be with awareness as awareness is here for us. That we connect with our own luminous, bright, pristine nature, this goodness inside ourselves. And when we do that kind of practice, we often find ourselves like not working too hard. We just sort of rest and be. And now that has a lot of like uh, danger zones, like, okay, just sitting around doing nothing. Is that natural awareness? No. So I'll talk a lot about this later towards the end of the retreat, but we want to have you move through different types of awareness before we get there. And you might also find that it's naturally occurring, that there's a kind of effortless awareness, a spacious, open, relaxed awareness that's possible. And if that's happening, great, go with it. In fact, that whole thing I just laid out for you, one, two, three, four, it's totally artificial. Our minds do all sorts of things. They go in and out and in and out and they and um, back and forth, right? Through these awarenesses. And they happen in daily life and they happen in meditation retreats. So just an example, I'll give you an example now, I'll bring a dog example. When I first, um, so I've had this dog now for like about eight months and he was a rescue and he had some problems, but he's better now. He's not trying to snap at little children, which I'm very happy about. But I used to get up in the morning and meditate, and then suddenly I'm trying to get up in the morning to meditate, but I have to take the dog for, the walk, for a walk. And so I, uh, at first I was resentful. You're ruining my meditation time. But he was so cute, so I forgave him almost immediately. Um, and then I thought, wait a minute, let's make my dog walking my meditation time, at least the first part of it. So I would go out and start walking with him. And usually when I would start walking down the street, my mind would be, you know, first I'm groggy, getting up, thinking about a lot of things. But then I slowly began to bring my attention into my steps, doing the walking meditation just like you were doing. But I was doing it down the street at a natural pace. I wasn't walking like a zombie. Nobody thought I was weird in my neighborhood. <laughs> I was just walking, feeling my feet, feeling my feet. And I would find that so soothing and so present. And of course, as you know, dogs stop all the time to sniff everything. So what do you think I did? Can anyone guess? Well, 
Yes, standing meditation. So I'd do walking and then I'd stop and do standing while I was waiting and then I would do walking again. And so I did a lot of focused awareness. But then sometimes I'd find myself looking around the looking around the um, neighborhood. And I'd see, oh, there's that, and that's so beautiful. Oh, what did they do with their yard? That's interesting. There's a bird, there's a tree. And I would see my attention getting pulled into different things. So it was kind of an investigative awareness and also sometimes choiceless awareness. Like I wasn't trying to deliberately do something, but I was noticing my attention. I was still aware I wasn't spacing out, I was still aware. So I would practice this flexible awareness, noticing this, noticing that, and then I might come back to my feet, stepping, 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 waiting, standing. Okay, come on, stop sniffing that bush, judging, getting annoyed, he's so cute. I don't know what that note would be, quelling or something? Anyway, um, so 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 I would notice my heart being warm towards him. And then after a while, I'm walking, walking, and then I might find myself doing natural awareness where I was just kind of resting in a sense of being. And my mind was spacious and relaxed and taking it all in. And it wasn't like I was really specifically trying to do anything. I was just in a place of love and connection and just being with my pet. And I'm betting, I know there are many of you here who are not, dog owners, Um, but I'm betting the dog owners here, you know what I'm talking about. When you're just kind of with the dog and you're not trying to meditate or do anything special, but there's something that's just happening in the connection. Do you know what I'm talking about? No? Yes? Or maybe with your cat. Does it happen with your cat? Did you see that research that said dog owners are happier than cat owners? Sorry. And people with no pets are happier than cat owners too. <laughs> that was the research. <laughs> it just came out. Um, I'm sorry if you're a cat owner. I feel terrible. But it was what... The, anyway, never believe everything about the research you read. Um, so, so my point is... I've lost the plot here. But the point is that... Our awareness can shift and change and we just can be present with whatever life brings. This is the promise of mindfulness. We, we can be focused, we can be flexible, we can be relaxed, open, spacious, natural. And we'll go through all of these things, but the point is, is we, we are aware. This is a map for being aware. Now, as I said, I gave you a lot of technical stuff Take, it, take what you like, leave, leave what you don't like. But notice that our awareness works in many different ways and how interesting that we get a whole week to explore awareness. And as I said also, we'll be walking you through it step by step. So just come along for the ride. I'll just end with a, a quote by um, a Tibetan Buddhist teacher named Minjur Rinpoche who said, well, actually I'll give you two quotes. He says, oops, lost it here. Maybe I won't end with a quote. (laughs) Ah. We don't have to look outside the present moment to experience wisdom, compassion, and the boundless purity of our true nature. In fact, these things can't be found anywhere but the present moment. 
And then in the spirit of uh, not doing too much, relaxing, enjoying yourself, this is a quote from the great, great, um, the great guru, Winnie the Pooh. Christopher Robin, well, from the book. Christopher Robin says, but what I like doing best is nothing. How do you do nothing, asked Pooh, after he wondered for a long, long time. Well, it's when people call out to you just as you're going off to do it. What are you going to do, Christopher Robin? And you say, oh, nothing. And then you go and do it. (laughs) So we're here to do nothing and everything. And you're here with yourself and with us. And here we go. We just keep going. All right, let's just take a moment to kind of sense our bodies and minds. Noticing as we sit here, just what's happening inside you. Maybe being stirred up, a lot to think about, maybe really curious, tired, hungry, dinner's coming, I know. See if it's possible right in this moment to be with just this, just this, right here, right now. Can I be with just this? Thank you for your attention and we will have our evening meal in about five minutes so you have plenty of time to mindfully walk down there and eat mindfully and keep going with mindfulness. It doesn't end. It's always mindful. Thanks. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.